Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Good to have you with us. If you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you here this morning. Glad to have you all joining us online as well. A month or so ago, I introduced Derek and Christine Bullington as being candidates for the new youth minister position. And I want to reintroduce them today. They said yes. So we want to say hi to Derek and Christine sitting over here. I know that uh, they're going to be a blessing to us, and I hope we're a blessing to them as well. Right after our worship today, by the way, there's kind of a welcome get-to-know-you luncheon over in the Family Life Center. Everyone's invited. It's been catered. If you're a guest of ours today, please stay and, and eat with us and get to know us and, and meet Derek and Christine. And uh, so that, that happens right after worship today. Um, I want to thank you all for wearing a name tag. Thanks. Remember, this month is name tag September or something like that. And now that we're wearing them, let's call each other by name, right? So yeah, thanks for doing that. We can do that the rest of this month. Also, remember, beginning in October, schedule change. Big change. Our worship service is going to begin at 8.30 in the morning. Our classes will begin at 10 o'clock. That's not next week. That is in October. So be planning for that in October. Our worship will be first at 8.30, followed by class at 10. Okay, all that's out of the way. A young guy and a uh, preacher find themselves playing golf together one day. And they come to a par three. And the preacher asks this young guy, what what club are you going to use here? The guy says, I'm, I'm going to use an eight iron. How about you? The preacher says, I'm going to hit a soft seven and pray. So the young guy goes up with his eight iron, hits a beautiful shot, lands it right on the green. Preacher walks up with his seven iron, slices it right into the woods right away. The young guy says, you know, preacher, I don't know about your church, but in my church, when we pray, we keep our heads down. I was told that people who played golf would think that was funny. I don't know. I don't play golf. I didn't really get it, but okay. <laughs> My experience playing golf is trying to miss the big windmill on the putt-putt course. That's, that's about the extent of my golf experience. But this morning, I don't want to talk to you about golf, by the way. I do want to talk a little bit about prayer. And not so much keeping our heads down when we pray. I want to talk about why we pray, what we pray for. We are in a series where we're talking about following Jesus, what that looks like, what that means, what that costs. Last week, if you remember, I talked about following Jesus with purpose. And I tried to remind you that following Jesus isn't something that's intuitive. I mean, none of us figured it out all by ourselves. Someone told us, someone taught us, someone shared with us, someone explained to us the story of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which is a little bit ironic, because I I think I can speak for most Christians, we're not really that comfortable telling other people about Jesus. We're very grateful that someone shared with us. We're extremely thankful that someone talk to us about Jesus. Someone invited us into their home. Someone invited us to church. 
Someone sat down and had a conversation with us. You know, someone shared with us. Someone had that serious talk, maybe even a little bit confrontational. We're very thankful that that happened for us. But when it comes to me talking to someone else about Jesus, I'm very uncomfortable doing that. And I think if we took a survey, and if we were honest on the survey, I think the reason why we feel so uncomfortable talking to people about Jesus probably boils down to one thing. Fear. I'm afraid. Because I don't know how they're going to respond. They might ask a question that I can't answer. I don't want to get into some comparative religion debate, you know. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to look like some, you know, Bible thumper. I don't want to... I don't, I, don't, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. Yeah, I, I just don't want to do that. Can't I just keep my head down and my mouth shut and go to heaven? Turns out, no, you can't. This morning, I want to talk about following Jesus with courage. And actually, today's sermon is part two of last week's sermon. We're going to go right back to Acts chapters three and four. Remember last week, we talked about Peter and John healing a man who was crippled and the religious leaders find out about that, and they don't take it very well, and they arrest Peter and John, they put them in jail for the night, and then they warn them, and they threaten them not to talk about Jesus anymore, and you remember Peter's great response to that? We can't help it. We can't help but talk about what we have seen and heard. Something happened. We saw it, we heard it. Something happened in history. Something happened in this city. We've got to talk about what we have seen and heard. Jesus was born, lived, died, was raised from the dead. And again, you don't know that story intuitively. You can't sit under a tree somewhere and meditate and understand that message. Someone has to share that message with you. Someone has to tell you about Jesus. And, and it's interesting that in spite of the fact that we are so grateful that someone talked to us about Jesus, and in spite of the fact that we understand that people don't figure that out on their own, and in spite of the fact that there are people in our circles that, because of my job or because of my hobby or because of my family or my station in life, for some reason, I am perfectly positioned to talk to that person about Jesus. Even though we understand all of those things, we are usually very hesitant to brag about Jesus, to talk about him, to give him any kind of credit for what's going on in our lives. I find it interesting that the very thing that Jesus commanded us to do, we're pretty hesitant to do. Go and make disciples. Again, interesting, when you look at the primary players in the New Testament... Almost all of them begin as just big cowards. <laughs> they really are. Peter's around a campfire, and a young girl accuses him of knowing Jesus, and he starts swearing. I don't even know the guy. Jesus is arrested. Do his disciples defend him? No, they run away. They slip into the darkness. They you know, hide in the shadows. They're scared to death. But by the time we get to the book of Acts... These same cowards are now courageously, fearlessly telling people about Jesus. What happened? How did they overcome their fear? Which, by the way, they had a lot more to be fearful about than we do. 
How did they overcome that fear and become these dedicated followers of Jesus who were committed to inviting other people to follow Jesus along with them? Well, getting back to our story in Acts chapters 3 and 4, Peter and John are arrested. They're put in prison. The next day they're brought before a group of men where they are tried to intimidate them. They're warned not to talk about Jesus. They replied, they can't stop talking about Jesus. And if you remember the context, Peter and John are standing before the same group of men that Jesus stood before. Exact same group. The same group of men who sentenced Jesus to be crucified are now speaking with Peter and John. If they can have the leader crucified, they can surely take care of the followers, right? And that thought has to have gone through the minds of Peter and John. You know, we're in some danger here. I mean, they had this group of men, they, they had Jesus crucified. Now they have us. We might be in prison for a long time. We might be killed. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, what happens is they're warned not to talk about Jesus, and they're set free. On their way home, they have a conversation, Peter and John. I don't know what that conversation was, but I know they had a conversation. I know what my conversation would be if I were in their shoes, if I just had the experience that they had. My conversation would be, whoa, that was close. We got to be careful. We got to take a step back here. We need to wait and let the dust settle a little bit. Things are hot. We might want to think about leaving the city. We might want to let things calm down a little bit. Uh, we could have been killed. That was close. That would have been my conversation. Too close. Too close for comfort. God, thank you that, that I wasn't killed. Protect me, help me, bless me, protect me, help me, bless me, protect me, help me, bless me. That would have been my thought process. That's not their conversation. It's not their prayer, by the way, either. Peter and John arrive back, talking to the other disciples, and they start telling what happened to them. That's where we're going to pick up the narrative today, in Acts chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, before we get to their prayer, I want you to realize Peter and John are very important people in this movement, in this new community, the church, right? Peter and John are very important people. Along with James, it can be argued, Peter and John knew Jesus better than anybody else on the face of the earth. They'd spent more time with Jesus than anybody else. These were important guys to the church. And at this point in time, John hadn't written his letters yet. John hadn't written down what we call the Gospel of John, his Jesus story. He hadn't written 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John yet. He hadn't written the book of Revelation. Peter hadn't written 1st and 2nd Peter. I mean, these are two men, they're big guys in, in this movement. And the church, I'm sure, was thinking, we can't lose Peter and John. I mean, we cannot lose Peter and John. We don't know all your Jesus stories yet. We can't lose you, and we almost lost you. So here would have been my prayer. Father, help me. Father, protect me. Father, bless me. Help me. 
Protect me. Bless me. Help protect, bless the people I know. Help protect, bless the people I love. That would have been my prayer. In fact, quite often, that is my prayer. That is not the prayer that these disciples pray. In fact, their prayer involves an aha moment. I think a light bulb comes on for Peter and John and these disciples. They start to connect some dots. And I say that because you see it in their prayer. They start to realize that there's something going on. They begin to rem remember some things that they had been taught from Torah concerning the Messiah. That when the Messiah came, uh, things were going to happen. It's been hundreds of years and, and no Messiah, but now they're starting to think of some old memory verses that they had learned. Those memory verses are beginning to make sense. Peter and John re realize that they are in the middle of something very significant. Something is going on. Not only are they in the middle of something very significant, but for some reason God has chosen them to be players in this very significant thing that's going on. And when they pray, they don't pray like I would pray. They don't pray, help me, protect me, bless me. Their prayer is very different. Here's their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they begin their prayer by acknowledging, acknowledging that God is the sovereign Lord. They begin their prayer by acknowledging that even when it looks like things are out of control, things aren't out of your control. We were arrested. We were put in prison. Uh, things seem to be uh, going crazy. But they acknowledge God's in control. God is sovereign. When we don't quite understand what's going on, God does. When things seem out of control, God's in control. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Maybe we should begin our prayers like that as well. But then listen to what they say. They begin to connect some dots here. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. They're saying, we remember something that we learned as kids. We remember that David prophesied that when the Messiah came, it would not be smooth sailing. We're remembering some things that we learned as children. We're remembering that David prophesied that when the Messiah came, there would be opposition to him. That he would be persecuted. That people would plot against him. Here's what you spoke. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They'd learned when they were kids that when the Messiah came, the rulers were going to oppose him. They would turn against the Lord's anointed one. And it dawns on them, we saw this happen. We saw that this very prophecy fulfilled. That's exactly what's happened before our very eyes. Look at the, the next statement. Indeed, which means, aha, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. That psalm that we all memorized when we were kids, that psalm that people have been quoting for generations, we know it as Psalm 2, by the way, we saw that fulfilled. 
We are living through that. King Herod, Pontius Pilate, they conspired against the, the Lord's anointed one. These people are living in the middle of the fulfillment of this amazing prophecy. And they knew it. But they almost missed it. Because when Jesus was arrested, they were praying that he'd be released. And it looked like when Jesus was sentenced to be crucified, they were praying that a miracle would happen and he wouldn't be crucified. And then Jesus is killed and he's put in a grave and they think it's over. They don't know what to do. And then he's raised from the dead and they still don't know exactly what to make of it. They have a hard time believing it. But now they realize, wait a minute. This was the plan all along. You are the sovereign God who is alive and active in our midst. We, we live through the fulfillment of prophecy. Then look, look at the rest of this prayer. It's really powerful stuff. They, he's talking about Herod and Pilate, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. We thought things were out of control. You were in control the whole time, God. Herod thought he was in control. He wasn't in control. Pilate thought he was making his own decisions. He wasn't making decisions. You had foreordained this since the beginning of time that this was going to happen. You thought everything was going the wrong way. It was going exactly your way, sovereign God. And then finally they asked their request. They haven't asked for anything of God yet. But they're about to ask God for something. And what they ask God for is not what we usually ask God for. We ask for blessings. We ask for help. We ask for protection. That is not their prayer. Remember, they're standing in front of the same people. They stood in front of the same people. They put Jesus to death. They realized that they could be in danger. They realized that they'd been warned. They'd been threatened. They were high on the radar screen. Their doors could be broken down at any time. They could be dragged off to prison or worse. They knew that. So what do they pray for? Here it is. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Which is an interesting choice of words. They don't pray, do away with our enemies. Because maybe that's not God's will. They don't pray, protect us, though don't let us get arrested again. Because maybe that's not God's will. They just say, Lord, consider their threats. But this prayer that they're praying is not about them. It's about us and our place in this story. And then they ask for something that I suspect very few people in this room have ever asked God for. They realize that God's up to something, that God is sovereign. They realize that God is alive and active in their midst. And they ask God for something, like I said, that we don't ask God for. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They don't say, protect us, because maybe that's not God's will. They don't say, deliver us, because they don't know if that's God's will. They don't say, keep us from our enemies, because they don't know if that's God's will. 
But here's what they know. O sovereign Lord, who is in complete control, who is active, who has invited us into this process, O sovereign Lord, if you don't act like I think you should act, if you don't protect me like I, I think I need protected, if you don't bless me in the way I think I should be blessed, if we have different definitions of what help looks like, if I don't understand any of those things, would you do this one thing? Would you enable me to speak your word with great boldness? You ever pray that prayer? Probably not. Because usually our prayers are all about me, right? <laughs> Mainly because I, I'm convinced that I'm sovereign, that I know what's best, and I know how everything should work out. And I forget that God is sovereign. I forget that he has invited me into something that is so much bigger than me. So why were they able to pray that prayer? They understood they were serving a sovereign God. So they asked for boldness, which has nothing to do with extroverts and introverts. It has nothing to do with thinkers or feelers. It has nothing to do with, you know, being that kind of personality that shouts from the rooftops. Sometimes boldness is a whisper. Sometimes boldness is just a card or a call or a text. Sometimes boldness is an invitation. Sometimes it's just a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Sovereign Lord, enable me to speak your word with great boldness. That's a scary prayer, isn't it? <laughs> that is a scary prayer. Because if you pray that prayer, a couple things are going to happen. One, you are going to be made aware of all the ways God is going to open doors for you to speak his word with great boldness. We have opportunities every single day to brag about Jesus. We have chances every day to talk to somebody about our faith in God. And when you start praying this prayer, you're going to start seeing all these opportunities that are before us. And then the second thing that's going to happen if we pray this prayer is we're going to be forced to deal with some fears that we should have dealt with a long time ago. And we've got to stop hiding behind our excuses about being intentional and being followers of Jesus who invite other people to follow along with us. Say, well, it's, it's just not my personality. It's just not who I am. You know, that's, that's not my makeup. I'm too afraid. Of course you're afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid too. That's why we pray that God would enable us to speak His word with great boldness. See, I'm afraid we've lost complete sight of the fact that we are praying to the God we serve who is a sovereign God. He's in control. Sovereign God is going to do what sovereign God is going to do. And yet he is inviting me into the process. He's inviting me to be a player as a follower of Jesus. What a privilege. So, this week, 
I'm going to challenge you to pray that God would enable you. That he would enable you. Not just to be a good example. Not just to be a better father or a better wife. Not just to be in the right place at the right time. That you would pray that God would enable you to have strength, to have courage, to speak his word with great boldness. Because somebody is depending on you doing that. You are perfectly positioned in the life of someone to tell them about Jesus. Now, don't pray for results, okay? You're not in charge of results. You know who's in charge of results? Sovereign God, not scared Tim. He's in charge of results. He just wants us to tell the story. He just wants us to be involved in his process as followers of his, as followers of Jesus. To be telling people why we follow Jesus, why we live our lives the way we live our lives. To be disciples who make disciples. To be followers who invite others, encourage others, and help other people to follow Jesus as well. So that's my challenge for you this week. Make that part of your prayer. And we're going to end this lesson with a prayer. So let's bow. Oh, sovereign God, thank you for reminding us that we are not in charge and we are not alone. Thank you for reminding us of the urgency of sharing Jesus with those that we know and we love. We get so wrapped up in the details of our lives, the things that seem so important at the time, but have no real eternal value. Help us to see a much larger picture. Father, we pray for boldness. Boldness to ask the question. Boldness to share the conversation. Boldness to make the call, to write the note, to make the invitation, to talk about the issue. Boldness to explain why our lives look like they look and why we live like we live, whatever it is. Father, enable us. Enable us to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. This is his name that I pray. Amen. As a church family, if we can help you in any way, something you might like the church to be praying about on your behalf, uh, whatever we can do to assist you, we can invite you to come to the front and we're going to stand and sing.